Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Finance First podcast brought to you by and for Agents of Fortune. My name is Davis Fascinella, and today I'm going to have three different segments for you. Uh, The first segment is going to be clear and concise ways of saving money for your investments. So that is the process of evaluating your expenses and then using a portion of your income to invest in a way that will offset expenses that will save you money. The second topic is going to be broader market overviews. Uh, I've done that in the past with the Dow, the NASDAQ, and the S&P 500. So it'll sort of be a two-week reiteration of what has elapsed in those major indexes since two weeks ago. And the third uh, segment is going to be a new segment that I'm starting. That's going to be stock highlights, where I'm going to pick a winner, a loser, and just a, a company that's sort of a question mark in my mind going forward. Um, so the first segment where we talk about clear and concise ways of saving money for your investments. So there's a lot of different ways that you can approach this that are preached in the halls of high school economics classes all the way up to master's level classes of how to conserve your wealth in a way. There's a whole entire profession surrounding wealth preservation. So this is a sort of a simplified version of how you start the process of wealth preservation. Um, So what you're going to want to do is is you're going to want to take your phone and that's all you're really going to need to start this. It's just a smartphone, anything that you can take and record the amount of money that you spend in a one week period of time. That would be Monday to Monday or whatever day that you would start it to the next day of the following week. And I want you to write down how much money you spend on average because you know you'll know if you're going to universal or something and you don't go to universal every week obviously that's not a good representation of how much you're spending on average so in a typical week you want to try to record how much money you're spending then when you take all of your expenses over that week you're going to try to get a rounded figure that is in terms an average of what it is that you expect to spend. For some people it's a little bit easier because they know they have built-in expenses in the form of maybe it's a student loan, maybe it's a mortgage, maybe it's car payments, maybe it's car insurance. I mean there's any number of things that are fixed reoccurring expenses that we have to pay on a weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly basis. So the whole concept of this is that you're going to want to try to take your income, and we'll just use a flat uh, bi-weekly payout structure, and say you're getting about $2,000, we'll call it, on a, on a bi-weekly basis. So $1,000 a week is what you're really looking at as a, as a nest egg for what you're going to be spending out of. So I want you to take that $1,000 and I want you to cut it in half, and we'll say that is a representation of your expenses. So what you're going to want to do is you have to pay yourself first. You need to understand what your expenses are. You need to understand what portion of your income do you know for a fact. It's almost as if you're not even getting paid it because it's just a redistribution to another party. So we're going to take that portion of your income and we're going to remove it from the entire equation. That is called paying yourself first because you know those are things that you yourself have to pay as a means to survive. Now, what you're going to do with the extra 50% is is that that gets converted into money that is 
we'll call it optional. That is money that can be repurposed for the sake of saving. It could be, you know, what you go to go spend. You could go to the movies. You could go play golf. I mean, whatever you do for fun, your luxury expenses, that all comes from that other 50% because that is money that you have left over from paying yourself first on your expenses. Now, the idea of wealth preservation is that you want to be making money off of your passive investments to offset your expenses so that you're saving more money that you would have otherwise been paying yourself first. So the way you accomplish that is by taking, we'll call it 15% or 20% roughly of that portion of your money that is the 50% that is not being paid towards your expenses. And you're going to repurpose that for the sake of investing. And the really cool thing about that is that you're going to find that if you make an active conscious effort to put that portion, 20% we'll call it, or $200 into this account, this passive account that's going to be used for investing, you'll find that you're really going to accumulate a lot of money that you're not going to touch all that frequently because maybe you'll have a you know a 50% of that money invested at any given time but the other 50% will sit in a money market position so it's really like it's being sitting in a bank account but you're not going to go and uh, access that money to go spend on things if you needed to because it takes time to do banking transactions you don't just get your money instantly and you'd be surprised how big of a difference it is in the amount of money that you will save just because it is not readily accessible to you at that given time. So all in all, the most important aspect of what I'm saying is, is that you're going to want to take a percentage of that money and keep it in a passive account that is going that the idea, the goal of that money is going to be to make a portion of the 50% that goes towards your expenses, maybe it's 10%, maybe it's 15%, maybe it's 25%. Maybe you make enough money off your passive investments that you can pay off half of your expenses that you have on a weekly basis. Now, the difference that that makes is, is that the money that you would be using to pay yourself, now you're removing 25% of it, what you really have is 75% of your money that is not going towards expenses now because the passive investing is supplying you with cash to pay off your your debts your whatever your expenses are and the other portion of it gets stacked on top of that to either do more investing or you know and to be pretty frank I mean you could do whatever you want with it I, I mean I'm here I am I'm just the smart thing to do would be to double up on that concept but you know, I, people can do whatever they want with that money. It's 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 money that is not going towards expenses. So it's pretty easy to determine what you're going to do with it. You could just put it into a retirement account, and that's a whole separate conversation that I'm going to have in a separate podcast on the benefits of putting even $200 a month into an IRA account can make you hundreds of thousands of dollars or even millions of dollars if you start now by the time that you're in your 50s. But that's a whole separate conversation. Okay. So the second concept, or the rather the second segment that we're going to talk about is broader market overviews. I've done these in the past when I talk about the Dow, the NASDAQ, and the S&P. And now if you've been watching the markets the last two weeks, you will know that it has been the very epitome of a roller coaster. There's been so many highs and lows in the Dow alone, we'll call it, in the, in the last two week period of time that 
most traders' heads have been spinning. So it's been easier to just let your money roll on the roller coaster rather than knee-jerking a response to this and selling into a low. This is aggressive buying territory because what is happening is, is that through the news coming from the White House or from China or from Wall Street or from wherever it's coming from, the Wall Street is artificially pushing the markets down because they ran up to too high, too inflated, too too costly of a price for the value that many of these, the true value we'll call it, that many of these companies are actually worth. So Microsoft, for example, and this is purely an example because I know this didn't happen, if it went up to $110 in a one month period of time, that would not last because that's not the true cost, that's not the true value of Microsoft. The true value of Microsoft right now from an earnings per share statistical value is right where it is. It's in about the mid-90s, early, uh, high 80s. So when you look at that aspect and you say to yourself on a broader macro scale that, okay, so these markets were very, very pricey, almost gluttonous to the sense that they were so full of cash that needed to be, uh, we'll call it, it needs to be corrected. It needed to have some some balance to the markets. And that's frankly what the principal market maker's responsibility is to do. So by Wall Street releasing this trade war hysteria, they have been able to artificially manipulate the prices to go down by using the news on the, you know, the uh, political news, more or less, to influence the broader indexes, which in my previous podcasts, I explain how the broader indexes play a, uh, you know, a big influential role on individual positions. But the bigger picture here is that Wall Street, there's no lack of positive growth, pro-growth mentality in the markets. If anything, it's actually probably been rekindled because the prices are better now than they were two weeks ago. So, the concept of being an aggressive buyer does not change because the market's pulled back 3,000 points or 4 or 5%. What you should really look at it is, is that a renewed opportunity to ride the ascension back up to 27,000 where it'll be a true value at that point and not a hypothetical rushed up, uh, you know, in a, in a knee-jerk way value. So it's important to not lose sight in down days that we're, the fundamentals and the technicals are still screaming aggressive buy in your face. So you need to keep your conviction about you that, okay, if my price, if my positions go down eight nine percent, you have two options: you either hold on to it because there's no point in selling at a loss, or if you're not of the belief that that company is going to rebound and reach the level that you purchased it at, you can sell it and realize a taxable loss that you can use to offset your income taxes. Now, I'm sure a lot of you are going through your taxes right now, and you probably don't have a lot of investment statements, but you'll learn down the road that when you start doing investing heavily, you're going to have tax documents that are generated that you're going to file with the IRS. And basically, they're going to tax you on your capital gains. So it is equally as important to preserve your money and to save money that you can consider is money that you made because you saved it by offsetting your capital gains by your realized losses. So if you sell at a 10% loss, 
you're realizing that loss. You can use that to offset 10% of your capital gains so that you don't have to pay taxes on 10% of your of your growth. So that's a whole separate conversation. I've talked about that a little bit in, in my prior podcast, but it's a very important aspect of this conversation that needs to be acknowledged is that, okay, you have individual positions, you have macro indexes that are pulling these up or down, you know, doing whatever it is that they do. And you have to recognize that there's true value in your company. And if your and if your company is getting lowballed and you know that it's a temporary phenomenon, then you should believe in buying at a better price and dollar cost averaging down to a better price. That's the way to go with this. I mean, I don't know what else to say. That's that's you know, without going into, you know, the, the logistical terms of this, that is what is the correct move to make in this market environment. So I'm going to roll right into my third segment. This one's going to be a fun one where I talk about the what's basically the bright spot, a bright position, a dark position, and a position that is kind of a question mark to me. So I want to start with the bright position uh, in the past two weeks because I've had two weeks really to evaluate these things. And the bright position is going to be Tesla. I mean, all in all seriousness aside from Elon Musk making flamethrowers and sending Tesla rovers to outer space, there, there are things that cannot be disputed by what is going on in Tesla and what Elon Musk is doing because he's a smart person and he has a larger picture in mind and he has begun the true monopolization of two areas of the automobile industry. One of it is the electric car aspect of it, where he has an undisputed hold on the luxury electronic car uh, subsector of the automobile industry. And then on the other on the other foot of this, he also has a gigantic investment in lithium-ion batteries that are going to be the fuel source of cars, electric automobiles. And really, he's begun. That's where the true monopolization has taken place because he is controlling large swaths of the lithium-ion generated um, sector. And at one point, he even had begun to build out in Nevada this giant plant that was going to be self-sufficient power that they were going to do nothing but create lithium-ion batteries for their cars and to sell wholesale it to other companies. Except Warren Buffett had a huge beef with the way that was going, and he lobbied the state of Nevada to basically shut down Elon Musk's multi-multi-hundred billion dollar project. So you can thank Warren Buffett for any setback that comes from us not getting lithium-ion batteries at a cheaper cost, but we'll talk about that at a later time. So Tesla, despite the fact that they have long-term issues that need to be sorted out with uh, the fact that most of their they're a very indebted company they have a lot of not pure uh revenue on top of their income not a lot of it is is net income rather it's just gross revenue so the bottom line is that they're going to have to work on their net revenue in order to become a company that's going to have any long-term sustainability but right now on that dip to 260, that was a screaming buy. And I think anyone who participated in that, myself included, they felt pretty good about their decision to do that. And they found that, yeah, you know, this is a company that at, it seems pricey at 260, and it is, 
but you don't have to go buy a lot of it. You don't have to go buy 50 shares of it. I mean, whatever you can accumulate, you can accumulate. I mean, you're a shareholder. It doesn't matter if it's one or if it's a thousand. It's, you know, it's a share. So as long as you're participating, your money is growing. If you put $250 in to a, to get one share and that share goes up to 320 you have, you know, $320 of that one share. I mean, that's, you know, that's real growth. So it's not a lot of, you know, you don't have to get all technical about it from a bottom line standpoint, that is real growth. So the second company that I want to, that was Tesla. We like Tesla. The second company that I want to talk about, this is my my dark spot in the last two weeks, has been Facebook. And I, I mean, I told you guys last time, Facebook is a raging dumpster fire of a company. I, there's nothing that I've read that is good about what Mark Zuckerberg is doing. And frankly, I all I've really seen through the news reports and stuff that have come out since this whole debacle of the accounts being hacked has come out or the, the personal information being shared with these third-party companies is that from the executive level all the way down is a gross mismanagement of people's personal information all at the cost of ourselves while Mark Zuckerberg runs to the bank and runs to Forbes magazine with his billions and billions and billions of personal wealth that he's accumulating off the screwing people like you and me. So, I'm not a proponent of Facebook. I think that eventually karma will catch up to Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook does not possess enough. They're not king of the world. They're not they don't have the whole social media market on lockdown anymore thanks to companies like Twitter. Thank you at Jack for that. And uh, even Snap to a lesser degree, Instagram, whatever. Facebook is not the only show in town anymore. And once Facebook loses its relevancy with our parents, with the baby boomers, with Generation Xers, I don't know many millennials that use Facebook anymore. But the bottom line is, is that Facebook is a dumpster of a company. I hate it. I hate Mark Zuckerberg. And frankly, none of this is my own personal vendetta against him. But if you even take five minutes to research the gross negligence of your personal information that is being callously tossed around to the Chinese government, to the Russian government, to Republican and, and liberal political parties, I mean, it, it's it's appalling. That should never happen. So Facebook, definitely not not a huge proponent of Facebook. And maybe that, maybe that will change if Mark Zuckerberg steps down and they go through a dramatic rebuilding procedure but frankly I don't see that coming in the near future I think that's still going to be something that uh, they're going to have to go through a lot more social unrest before they get to that point so stay far away from Facebook I really don't care how enticing of a buy it looks like I don't care what Kramer has to say on Mad Money or what people are saying on uh, Bloomberg just stay away from, from Facebook we don't like Facebook okay and my third company that's sort of a question mark in my mind. I really, I really, I've been watching it for probably half a year now, and I still have not come to a clear consensus on whether this is going to be a blockbuster company for years to come, or if they're going to be stonewalled in, you know, and this is a seasonal company. They have, you know, Christmas and, you know, the summertime are really the biggest times that they, you know, are, are you want to be looking at that company for major pops. And that, that, that company is Sony. Sony is obviously the creator of Sony TVs. They're the creator of PlayStation, PlayStation VR. They're, they're the creator of a number 
of very highly sophisticated electronic applications, I'll call it, to be broader than just saying gaming software and TVs, because they do make a lot of other stuff, speakers and other things like that. So Sony has been lingering at about a $52 uh, a stock value for a while. Um, I wrote it up from 43 up to the 50s and felt pretty comfortable about selling at that position. And then I've been waiting and waiting and waiting to see something that's going to convince me that it's going to get up into the 60s. And frankly, I haven't seen it yet. I mean, I watched the fundamentals. I watched this. I watched the the technicals. And through my charting, I could see that it has. You know, it's still a buy. It's still. It's not like it's going to go out of business. It's not like they're going to. You know, the floor is going to get kicked out from underneath them, and it's going to drop down to the 30s. But I need to see something better than the PS4 Pro. I need to see something better than the intermediate version of PlayStation VR, which is supposed to be better than than uh, you know something you slap on your phone, but worse than something that's like what you would comp- what you would plug into your computer, like the the Oculus Rift or something like that. So I need to see some innovation that comes out of Sony that really takes the world and the you know the, and maybe I'll see it at E3, maybe I'll see it around Christmas time when it's their biggest you know, demographic of, of purchasing. So there's still, this is still a question mark in my mind. I'm still watching it. And I, I would suggest all of you to watch it. And if you think that you see something that is more enticing to you than what I've described, then by all means, go ahead, buy it. I, I, I think that it's a great company. They have great earnings and they have great revenue. That is true revenue net of cost. So I think that where they might get screwed down the road is any amount of I mean we have a good relationship trade wise with Japan but there's any number of things that can infringe on I don't know where they get the pieces to make the PS4s I don't know if they outsource any of that from China so they're in a they're in an area of the world that is so volatile right now in the sense of everything that is going on in North Korea, China, Russia, I mean, even Japan to a lesser degree because they're literally right next door. They're not immune to what goes on in their region. So I think if anything bad happens in, you know, North Korea or with China, I think that has an immediate ramification to Japan. So Sony being a purely Japanese company, they would not stand very well to benefit from that. So um, so yeah, that's my question mark company. But the three, all three companies, you know, they've had their, they they hold a special place in a lot of people's hearts. But it's up to you guys as investors to find out which one makes your cut and which one does not. So that's all I had to talk about today. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. And I just want to say one, spe- uh, I want to get a special message out. The reason why I hadn't been making these podcasts for two weeks is because. I've been taking care of my of my puppy that I had raised since I was a little kid, and uh, she was 15 years old. Her name was Jumpy, silly name I know, but uh, she had cancer. It kind of got to the terminal phase of it in the last couple weeks, and uh, we finally had to, uh, you know, send her to be wh- where she belonged on Wednesday. So I'd like you guys to forgive me for my absentee in making these podcasts, and I hope that you guys will be coming back every Monday and Friday to catch up on the new stuff that I'm going to be making because I got a lot of exciting things coming out. I've got some people that I'm going to be working with 
over the weekend to run some crypto podcast uh, test segments. They might be out as early as next Monday. They might take until next Friday. I'm not really sure yet, but you can follow me on my Twitter at R-O-K-A-F-E-L-L-A-D-A-R-V. That's Rockefeller Darv. Follow me on my Twitter. I'll keep you guys posted and updated on when you can expect to see the crypto uh, podcast come out. I'll probably have it all separately set aside as crypto podcasts, but you guys really don't want to miss that because the crypto markets have been on fire for wanting to buy lately. So keep an eye out for that podcast. It's going to be a really good one. The people I'm going to have really know what they're doing. They've made a hell of a lot of money doing it. So I'm excited. You guys should be excited. And I'll see you all again on Monday. Hope you all have a great weekend. Thanks. Bye.